Well, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. You can see from the title there, we're going to be focusing on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. As I said during the prayer time, um, we're taking a break from the book of Romans. We're just finishing up Romans chapter 1 and about to head into Romans chapter 2. We have one more verse to cover in chapter 1, so we'll come back and pick that up and do a little review and then, and then continue to, to move on. But we're going to focus our attention on the coming of Christ and the, the start of a, of a new year. And quite frankly, while I love consistent exposition, I like knowing what is coming next and plunging into that and studying that to be able to deliver that to you, the messages in Romans have been pretty heavy, haven't they? All about depravity, all about sin and sexual sin and those type of things. That is, that's dark. And so I have enjoyed this week, focused on the one who can deliver us from all of our sin, Christ himself. And as I said, believe it or not, uh, before we, we gather again, Christmas will have arrived. You will have gathered with your families and celebrate together and it will be a happy time for most of you. I was reminded this past week, though, um, one of the saddest stories I can ever recall reading related to Christmas. It was a story about a 60-year-old mechanical engineer from Tennessee who played Santa Claus. He told the story about going out on one of his dress-up forays to visit a dying little boy in the hospital and he got a call from a nurse at the, a local hospital and told him that a very sick five-year-old boy was, was there and he wanted to see Santa. And so the pretend Santa told her that he would change his clothes and, and be there in, in just a second. And the nurse told him um, there wasn't time for that. Just put on your, your Santa suspenders. They're good enough and come right now. The boy's that sick. And so upon arriving at the hospital, the man met the boy's mother and she gave him one of uh, the little boy's favorite toys and he walked in the room and the boy was laying there almost at death. The man playing Santa sat down on his bed and said, Say, what is this I hear about you're going to miss Christmas? There's no way you can miss Christmas while you're my number one elf. And the little boy looked up and said, I am? And the man said, sure. And he gave him the present. And the boy was so weak he could barely open the wrapping paper. When he saw what was inside, he flashed a big smile and laid his head back. And the little boy said, I, they say I'm going to die. How can I tell when I get where I'm going? He asked the man playing Santa. The man playing Santa said, Can you do me a big favor? Sure, responded the boy. When you get there, you tell them you're Santa's number one elf, and I know they'll let you in. And he said, They will? And the man playing Santa said, Sure. The little boy, this is a quote, kind of sat up and gave me a big hug and died right there. What a sad story, huh? It's surely written to enhance dramatic effect. 
The hero of the story wrote the article, the man playing Santa. He was the one who comforted the boy. But the sad part of the story is not about the boy dying. As sad as that is, the sad part about the story is what he was told whenever he was asked about death. I mean, think about it. At the very moment this young man was facing eternity, instead of being pointed to a Savior, he was told to place his hope in a lie. And when that story was reported, it went viral and it was so sensational, a follow-up reporter looked into it and said that it's possible that the man who wrote it actually made up some key details. And so they re-released the story, not under the man's pen, but but of the new headline over the story, which now read, Fake News. But the real fake news is what he told the boy. You don't have to look far to find things that miss the point of Christmas, do you? It said the the three phrases that sum up Christmas are peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and batteries not included. (laughs) One advertisement I saw read, Christmas spirits on sale now. And sadly, that's what many people turn to because they don't have the real thing. A television interviewer was walking the streets of Tokyo at Christmas time and stopped one young woman on the sidewalk and asked, what is the meaning of Christmas? And she laughed and responded, I don't know. Is it the day that Jesus died? Well, I've got news for you this morning. Christmas is about the birth of the Savior of the world, the Savior who died and who is alive forevermore. And The story of Christmas is actually about a promise that God made a long time ago. The promise actually begins in Genesis chapter 3, and it marches undaunted through the centuries to a manger in Bethlehem. The the characters change, the promise comes in and out of view. If you read the Old Testament, as God moved all of history toward the advent of His Son, but because the coming of His Son was necessary to save us. One writer said that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent a scientist. We need some of those today, don't we? If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need would have been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. And the coming of Christ is is the hinge point on which the... The whole Bible and all of human history turns. But before the incarnation, before the coming of Christ that that came through the virgin birth, you have promise, the the promise of His coming, the coming one, the anointed one, the Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. So you have the promise. And then after after Christ's death and resurrection, you have news. You have the good news. It's something that has already happened. But between the two, recorded in the Gospels, you have the miraculous story about the birth and life and death and resurrection of the Savior, God's Son. The the, uh, theologians call it the incarnation, the enfleshing of the eternal Son of God, where Jesus put on Himself our flesh and blood to become fully human. And it shouts to us, this story shouts to us that in spite of who we are, in spite of our sinfulness, God did not leave us. He he came to us that we might be able to come to Him. I think we've heard this story so many times that it doesn't take our breath away the way that it should. I mean, here is the timeless, transcendent God of the universe who existed outside of time, who created time and matter, enters time in the world in which He created at the moment of the incarnation. 
eternity bound itself in time. And transcendence took upon itself matter. At that moment, God humbled himself and laid aside the continual worship that he had known in heaven and was conceived in the womb of a daughter of Eve. I mean, that's mind-blowing whenever you think about it. In Christmas, you have the incarnation and the virgin birth, and both are necessary for your salvation. And that's what's outlined for us in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And in this passage, Luke declares to us the real message of Christmas. He shows us the threefold miracle of the birth of Christ. It is a supernatural miracle. It was a biological miracle. And it's also a symbolic miracle that Luke will go on to explain. And without this miracle, you and I would have no way to get to heaven. You and I would be stuck in the midst of our sin. And all of the promise would still be promise. And it wouldn't be, wouldn't be news. Have you ever considered how God entered the world you ever considered his words? Well, he tells us, first of all, he comes by a supernatural miracle. Look, if you would, at verse 26 of the, the Gospel of, of Luke. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the de- descendants of David. To the virgin, And the virgin's name was Mary... And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, or the the one with God's grace. The Lord is with you. You have God's grace and you have His presence. Now you have read that passage every year as as a believer. I can remember some of the first things that I ever experienced as a a believer. Things that I I knew about, but now I experience for the first time as a believer as a follower of Christ. I don't know how long you've been been saved, but however long it has, every Christmas you are reminded of this passage and this story. But this is the first time that Mary heard those words. It's the introduction to the miracle that that was coming upon her. And at this point, Mary never considered that she would be part of a supernatural miracle. She wasn't sinless as the... Catholic Church says she wasn't some type of super Christian. She was, a, she was a young Jewish girl who was betrothed to a man going about her life just like you and I get up every day and go about our lives. And so Mary needs an on-ramp and, and God gives her one with this greeting. Favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary's response is fearful and a little perplexed. Look if you would at verse 29. It says, but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of situation this was. What in the world is going on? What is he saying and what is going on? And so the angel answers in verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The text tells us about Mary's response. She was very perplexed and and the angel reveals the, the other thing that's going on in her heart. He says, Don't be afraid, which means that she was. So he comforts her. And he comforts her with an explanation. If you would at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. 
And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. He comforts Mary, and he explains exactly what he means by you have, you have favor with God. He makes three declarations here. He says, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, in verse 31. You'll give him the name Jesus, also verse 31, and he will rule and reign forever, verses 32 and 33. And the Bible talks about some pretty amazing births. There was the birth of, of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, who was barren and over a hundred years of age. That's a pretty amazing birth. There was Manoah's wife in Judges 13 who conceived Samson from a barren womb. Samson was the, was the one who killed a thousand men and slayed a lion with his bare hands. There was the birth of Samuel the prophet that came to, to Hannah, whose womb had been closed by the Lord. You, you remember that story? She's so broken over being childless that, that Eli thought she was drunk because when, when she prayed, her lips moved, but no words came out. Have you ever been in that condition? You're so, you're so broken, you're over, so overtaken that, 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 you're, that you just can't even speak. Well, even Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, the mother of John the Baptist, was granted a child by the power of God. Elizabeth was barren, and Jesus said, among those, women, uh, among those born of women, no man was greater than, than John. And yet all of those miraculous births pale in comparison to, the, to what Mary's going to have. I mean, God has not given revelation to Israel in, in four to five hundred years. And it's been 2,000 years since the promise was given to Abraham that his seed would come, that not as just the seed of Isaac, but, the, but a seed would come from Isaac. You talk about a long gestational period. 2,000 years is a long time. And so when the Messiah finally came, God made sure that everyone knew what was happening, including Mary. And the birth was announced. And it was explained by by prophecy given beforehand. So there was no way that anyone could confuse who the real father was. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. A man betrothed, betrothed to a man of the house of David and conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of the Gospels confirm this. In fact, the New Testament begins with a genealogy to show us that Christ had the birthright to the promise of Abraham and the throne of David. Turn back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. How things begin and how things end are important. And this is how the New Testament begins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David the son of Abraham. Long before Ancestry.com, there was God's record of Matthew in Matthew chapter 1. and gives three sets of 14 generations from Abraham to Christ. And you think, I mean, isn't there a more uh, significant way to start the, the New Testament, the new revelation that God, God has given the closed canon of the Old Testament? I mean, isn't there something with, with, with more flash and flair than a, than a genealogical record? And the answer is no, because it's that important. Jesus is the true...
blessing of Abraham and the true Davidic king. That ties it to the entire message of the Old Testament. And look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, that's the book of Daniel that we went through, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Jesus is the blessing of Abraham, the Davidic king, and the return, true return from exile. But then immediately following the genealogy, look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Matthew goes right into how Jesus comes. So, and Luke does the same thing. He's born a virgin. Jesus not only has the birthright by genealogy, he is the right birth by supernatural conception. And the Gospels declare an accurate account of how the Messiah is conceived because Satan always attacks the truths that, that matter for salvation. You know the cross matters. You know the resurrection matters. Did you know the virgin birth matters? Apart from the virgin birth, you do not have any hope of salvation. If God did not take upon Himself human flesh, then you have no salvation. I have no salvation. If Jesus did not come in the way that's described in the Gospels, He doesn't come from a man, but He comes by a supernatural conception of the Holy Spirit. Where there is no sin nature, you and I don't have any salvation. And if Jesus wasn't born flesh and blood and lived a perfect man, but a man, so He could literally lay down His life on the cross, shed blood and die, you and I don't have any salvation. Christmas is that important. Jesus is a man and He is God. And both of those truths are wrapped up in the swaddling clothes of the virgin birth. It's, it is such a watershed topic that the Jews sought to kill Jesus be, because of it. Look at John chapter 5, verse 18. No, uh, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Him. Why? Because He not only broke the Sabbath, but also He also said that God was His Father. And watch this last part. Making Himself equal with God. Now, as a Christian, you say God is your Father, don't you? You pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. But you don't say, make yourself equal with God. <laughs> but that's what Jesus was saying in, in the virgin birth, in the fact that God was His Father, meaning that I came directly from Him. I, I'm the second person of the Trinity. And the Jews understood exactly the, the significance of the virgin birth. They understood that that meant deity and and God wants us to understand the same so we can have peace with Him. And Jesus wasn't the only one to talk about the virgin birth. The prophet Isaiah foretold its coming 750 years earlier or so. The prophecy that came to king, uh, the king of Judah, Ahaz. The birth of the Messiah would come by way of a supernatural miracle through a virginal conception. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 13. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you'll try the patience of God as well? Therefore, here's your sign. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. The sign was a declaration of judgment to, to Ahaz's unbelief. 
Ahaz feigns humility, refuses to give a sign. Oh, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign, Lord. And the Lord says, okay, I'll choose one for you. A virgin's going to conceive and bear a son long after you're dead. You're going to get a son. The sign's going to be of the Messiah long after you're gone, Ahaz. And while it will be a future sign for him, it will be for salvation for the future house of Judah and all the world. Notice Isaiah says that this sign would come would include two things. It will include a virginal conception, a virgin will be with child, and it will also include the incarnation, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so the eternal second person of the Trinity would enter time and space and take along with His deity human flesh and He would be conceived in the most miraculous kind of way. A virgin would be found with a child, miraculously brought about by the the Holy Spirit. Now, Isaiah is not told the details that Mary gets here in in Matthew and and Luke, but, but the nucleus is there. And the miracle was not the birth per se, but his conception. Do you know some people argue today that the virgin birth is not that big a deal because modern medicine can provide, meta, uh, can provide methods for a virginal conception or one outside the normal process where you have procedures that, that, are, that are truly medical marvels, uh, in vitro fertilization and others where, that are used to help uh, someone who, who can't get pregnant uh, have a child. But even those advanced procedures require the same components that that are necessary for natural birth. There's no procedure that a scientist has ever devised that does not include a man part and a woman part. But the virginal conception of Jesus was very different. It was supernatural. It was natural in that the birth of Christ was normal in every way. He was carried to the, to the full period of human gestation in the womb of Mary, grew like every other baby grew, which was to fulfill what Scripture said, that, that Jesus was at all points made like His brethren, experiencing all aspects of human life from, from conception all the way through death, from growth to the very end. He was a true man in every detail, except for sin and its physical effects. And that was the super part. The super part was that the Holy Spirit, by special creation, the human component ordinarily supplied by the man, the Spirit of God would supply. And God would use and sanctify Mary's part, and that's what the Bible means by virgin birth. And It was in that moment of human history that the second person of the Trinity entered time and space. At that moment, God voluntarily restricted His godness. Voluntarily. He didn't cease to be God in any way. But at that distinct moment, He allowed Himself to be conceived in a womb of a woman. I mean, the act itself taking place by the work of the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit. That's supernatural. And this Jesus was without sin. It was a supernatural miracle. It was also a biological miracle. Look, if you would, at verse 34. You can turn back to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. It's a supernatural miracle. 
There's also a biological miracle. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? I mean, Mary asked the same question that that you would have probably asked, right? I mean, uh, how can this be? She wasn't questioning God's power or the angel's message. She's questioning biology, isn't she? I mean, Mary knew more than 2,000 years ago what so-called scientists today struggle with. I mean, she knew that there was a difference between a man and a woman and what it took for a normal pregnancy. And as an unmarried woman, there was a significant part of that that hadn't happened. So how's this, how's this possible? In fact, all of what the angel said is a pretty hard thing to comprehend if you, you think about it. For Mary, not only have you just heard from an angel, but you've never known a man... And you're told you're, you're going to conceive a baby. Make no mention of who the baby is. Think of Joseph as well. For Joseph, not only is your betrothed wife carrying a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit, but, but he's the Messiah foretold by the great prophet Isaiah, the one that you've heard about in synagogue every, every single Saturday of your life since you're a young child. One of the songs that you memorized as a little Jewish boy was a song about uh, Eliyahu coming to usher in the Messiah. You've learned that from a child, and now you've been told by an angel that, that your betrothed wife that you've never known is the one who's going to be carrying that, that, that Messiah. And Mary and both of uh, Mary and Joseph being Jews would have been looking for Christ. And now after years of anticipation, he's to be born to them? I mean, that's brain numbing. And Mary didn't feel anything. I mean, there, she didn't have some glowing over her stomach. There wasn't some, you know, uh, uh, halo over top of her head. Only, the only thing that Joseph had was, was the words in his memory. Uh, of the angel and the dream. And so Mary asked a logical question. How will this be, seeing I haven't known a man? And the angel said, it's, it's going to be an organic marvel. I mean, Matthew, I won't make you turn back there, but Matthew is very specific in his wording. After the genealogy, he says, here's how this genealogy is going to take place. And this is what Matthew says. He's very specific. The birth of Jesus was as follows. His mother Mary had been betrothed, and before they came together, she was found to be with child. This is not a scandalous cover-up. It's a biological miracle. Look if you would at verse 35. Watch how the angel answers. The angel answered and said to her, to her question, how will this be, seeing I've not known a man... Uh, biology here. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will be the source supplying the by special creation what you're lacking, Mary. Biology, you're right. The Holy Spirit's going to supply by special creation what you're lacking. And then the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the result will be conception. And that will sanctify the part of Mary so that Jesus would be without a sin nature. And notice the words, therefore, or for that reason. 
the holy child will be called the Son of God. It's cause and effect. He's the Son of God because of the, the, the virginal conception. And then the angel answers her question by pointing her to another biological miracle that God had accomplished in order to strengthen her faith. Look, if you would, at verse 36. It says, And behold, look here, Mary. I know that's hard for you to take in. I've explained it to you, but, but let me strengthen you a little bit more. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. She who was called barren, known as barren, is with child. That was Elizabeth. Now Mary knew Elizabeth and knew that she was unable to have children any longer because of her age. And so she'll serve as an example of God's power. And that was to strengthen Mary's own faith. And God often does this. When there are paths that we have not walked... God will first give us His promise and then He'll point us to some of His other accomplishments as a, as a strengthening of our faith. The basis of our faith is, is what God declares. You don't need signs and miracles and anything else or, or any examples. Your faith is rooted in what God promised, His Word and the fact that He can back it up. But, but God often at times strengthens our faith by, by pointing us to other things that, that He's done, hence the record of the Bible. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. One of my favorite passages to, to read at, when a believer goes home to be with the Lord. Notice what Paul does here. This is the Apostle Paul. But some will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but, but a bare grain, and perhaps wheat or something else. But God gives it a body just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. I mean, Paul is asked, how are the dead raised? Have you ever seen somebody come up out of a, out of a grave? I haven't either. Mary hadn't seen a virginal conception. So Mary asks, how can a, a virginal baby be conceived? And Paul says, it's by God's power. Verse 38, the end of this verse. But God gives it a body, just as He wishes. God gave us, uh, gives us an example of how that's possible in nature. I mean, seeds provide a common example of many resurrections every spring. They go into the ground, they die, and they come up out of the ground as a plant that bears fruit. And if God created seeds with that kind of amazing ability, Paul is saying, why is it surprising that he can't do the same thing with a human body? And the angel says the same thing to Mary. He points her back to other biological miracles that God's already done, that she already knows have happened and to give her strength to, to her faith so that she'll believe in the one that she will experience. Biblical faith is never blind faith. Don't ever think faith is just getting sincere and psyched up and, you know, if I'm just, uh, if I, I'm just sincere, that, that that's what biblical faith... Biblical faith is never blind faith. It's always rooted in a promise of God. You attach your faith to what God promised that He would, would do. And that promise will be accomplished by His power. That's what the angel is saying. 
The struggle you and I have with faith is not, not what to believe. God makes that very clear. It's, it's if we'll believe, if we'll trust in, in what the Lord said or, or ourselves. In verse 37, the angel points Mary in the right place. Look at verse 37. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's really the punchline to, the, to, the, to her question. And Mary believed him. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. What, what wonderful words. May that be the, the prayer of your heart. The bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And it says, and the angel departed from her. That's how you know that she got it. The angel's God's messenger. He delivers the message, and the message was received. And so he leaves. His job's done. And he said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Do you know what that's a reference to? I mean, I know that's a wonderful slogan and bumper sticker and T-shirt and all of that other stuff. With God... All things are possible, with, for with God nothing will be impossible. But did you, do you know that there's, that's a reference to something in the Old Testament? It's a reference to Abraham and Sarah. Genesis eighteen fourteen. The Lord called Abraham and said, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Can I really bear a child when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? This angel is pointing Mary back to something that she probably heard in Jewish Sunday school class. And there are two parts to this angel's message. One is an echo of what God promised. And the other is an example. Look, look back at Luke uh, chapter 1 verse 7. Look back at verse 7 if you would. Verse 6, but they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child. Why did they have no child? Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now John the Baptist, who came from Elizabeth, was to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Literally, that literally means he was to prepare God's people for the Messiah, and his conception actually begins that process. Long before John ever stood up with uh, eating locusts and wild honey and a camel-haired coat and proclaimed, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John's already doing this work in his conception. The conception begins the process because it reminds the people of the promise that God made to Abraham and Sarah. Just like Abraham and Sarah were both old and past childbearing, so was Elizabeth. Sarah had completed menopause, and so had Elizabeth. And just as God appeared to Abraham, an angel also appeared to Zechariah. And just as Abraham struggled to believe, so did Zechariah. But Mary knew that Isaac had been born. You know why Mary knew that Isaac had been born? Because she was a descendant. <laughs> and if God could bring a biological miracle to Sarah, He could for her as well. But just to help Mary a little more, God gave her this miracle that was a little more close to home, her cousin. So it was an echo of, of, of Abraham and Sarah. And there was also a modern-day example that, 
that God could accomplish it. God is reminding Mary of the biological miracles of the past, but she would see her own relative have a biological miracle who was past the age of childbearing. Now you're going to see her six months pregnant. Back at verse 36, Luke 1. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. It's already happened. She is geras, old in age. And just to remove any confusion, she's known as a barren woman. And God tells Mary how it will happen. He reminds her of the promise to Abraham and then shows her that he... He can cause a woman who was barren to be with child. If he could do it then, he can do it today. And if he can do that for somebody who's past ability to have children, he can do it to somebody who's before the ability to have children because God has power over the womb. And the promise of the Messiah was foretold from the beginning. In Genesis 3, the seed will come from the woman. In Genesis 12, the promise of Abraham, the, the seed will come from barren Sarah. Then Moses, a nation that, that came from that seed, will, will be God's people. And then the Psalms and Isaiah 7 that we looked at, the prophets foretold about his coming. And then Elizabeth hearkens us back so we can see forward. And then Mary is visited by this angel who meets with her. And that's confirmed to Joseph by an angel. And it was confirmed to both of them by shepherds and then confirmed by Anna and then the Magi that's coming. One writer said, what more proof do you need from creation to Abraham to Moses to the prophets to the Christmas story to the change that you see in other believers? The virgin birth was a supernatural miracle and a biological miracle. And lastly, maybe more importantly to you, it was a symbolic miracle. The last time I'm going to ask you to turn, turn just... Two chapters forward in Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. This John the Baptist, who hearkened back to Abraham and Sarah, who was to pave the way for this Messiah. He was not only an example of his birth, but, but look at his message. The angel points Mary to, to Elizabeth and John. And here's the symbolic miracle. What, what was this John preaching? Luke 3.8. This is the, when he's preaching before baptism. Verse 7. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, notice what they're saying, we have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Now drop down to verse 16. And John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and with fire. Now, now what's John talking about? His birth begins the process, and now his preaching continues. What's John talking about when he says God raising up children uh, that, that are not from natural birth? And that's what he means here. 
We have Abraham for our father, but I say to you that these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Supernatural children. When the Jews said that to John, we have Abraham as our father, what they meant was we're, we're physical descendants of Abraham. We're God's people by physical birth. And John declares that that's not how you're going to get into a spiritual kingdom. I say to you that, that don't say that. From these stones, God's able to raise up children to Abraham. And he's using that as an example. I asked my friend Boaz while I was in Israel, what's the biggest obstacle for, in his opinion, for Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. And his answer was not to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, although you have to clearly do that. I think I shared with you, he even went to say Jesus is very Jewish. And so is the New Testament. He said it's, a, it's understanding the Christian concept of sin, which is a biblical concept. To the modern and, uh, and the ancient Jewish person in the time of Christ, sin means doing right or wrong or keeping the commandments of God or, or forsaking them outwardly, but not being born in an incurable state. To them it doesn't mean uh, Jeremiah 17.9, being born with an incurable sin nature. That's why the topic, the primary topic of Jesus' preaching was repent, the kingdom of God is here. What's Jesus focused on in all of his preaching? Yeah, he does miracles and heals people and feeds them, but what is his preaching focused on? That tells you the need. I mean, the, the Son of God knows the need of the people, and what's he preach? Repent. The kingdom of God is here. That's why the entire Sermon on the Mount shows how the law applies to the heart, not just the hands. And just like in Jesus' day, people aren't looking... For a savior because they don't think they need to be saved. They don't see their need for a new birth. And God is the only one who gives it. And that's what John is saying. I, I say to you from these stones, God is able to, to raise up children to Abraham. But how does that happen? Where will that come from? Better, who can give it? Well, that's the answer in verse 16. John said, the one who... one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John was the forerunner to prepare God's people for Christ. And just as John's miraculous birth was a symbol to, to Mary, John's prophetic words are a symbol for us. And just like Mary couldn't give birth to the Messiah on her own, you can't birth yourself spiritually on your own either. That's exactly what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, isn't it? I mean, John chapter 3 is not a how-to, it's an oh my. I mean, Jesus says you must be born again or you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can't give birth to yourself. And you're not getting in any other way. And John the Baptist is saying just as the Holy Spirit can overshadow Mary and create in her something that was not there before, He can and must do the same thing for you or you'll remain physically born, but not spiritually born. And just as the Spirit must make something in Mary by special creation, so must the Spirit of God do that work of creation in you. And you must have a supernatural birth. You must be born again. You must be born from above. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus 
as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's in creation, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. John 3, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up with Him and seated us with Him. That's three things that God does. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Should I go on? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be the a kind of first fruits among his creation. You say, well, that's just in the New Testament. It must only be there. Oh, really? How about Exodus 36, 26? Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Deuteronomy 36, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And what will the result be? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I don't need to put that up there for you. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. How do old things pass away? How do all things become new? Through your education, through becoming a Baptist, through going through water? What, what is it? It's through the new birth. And what God promised long ago in Genesis 3, that He would do something about the sin of man. He promised the seed of the woman would bring the answer. He faithfully prospered mankind. He moved that promise uh, through times and seasons. He, he declared that it would come through Noah's descendants, through the tents of Shem, that that Abraham, we learn later, would be the one and that he'd bring the blessing to the whole world. And he raised up a people from this promised son Isaac. who would, Those people were to be a light to the whole world, the one true God. He gave his law and the prophetic promises of the one to come all until the day at God's appointed time a virgin would be overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit and then God would begin unfolding his promise to redeem. And the time of His coming was chosen by God. And that inaugurated what's called the last days. Also the day of salvation. Which is a period of the existence of man when God flings wide open the, the door of mercy and invites all people from all nations to come in. Not just Jews, but all. It's a time when God's gospel will be freely preached. When the church, you, will be empowered to carry that message of good news. And, and it will not fail. It's a time when God extends His mercy by calling people to repentance. Like, like Acts 17.31 tells us, warning them that there's, that there's coming an end to this day of salvation. When all creation will be brought before its Creator. 
and the judgment of men and the judgment of nations will ensue. And in that day, that's the day that we're living in. It's the message of the New Testament. That Jesus Christ is the very God who created you. He's the son of Abraham. He's the king of the Jews. He has both the bloodline and the throne rights. And he came to us by a virgin birth. And that's the meaning of Christmas. Do you believe that? Do you know many other religions think that Jesus is important, but they don't believe that? They don't believe He's deity? They don't believe He's God? The Koran says that He was a prophet of God. Some sects of Judaism say He was a great teacher sent from God. The Mormons say He's the brother of Lucifer, formed by a physical union between God the Father and Mary, not a, not a virginal birth. And the Jehovah's Witness say He was a perfect man, but not God. But if you want to go to heaven, you must believe in the virgin birth because the virgin birth tells us that Jesus Christ was God. And you need God to give you a new birth. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful how clear you make your word. What an evidence of what we've been learning in Romans chapter 1. As clear as the Bible is, people take it and twist it, overlooking the things that they don't want to see, taking the things that they do see and leaving this out or, or adding that. But if we just read it as it's stated, what an amazing book. It tells us that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us in this mess that we made. You came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. All foretold before that you might die for our sins, that you might earn the righteousness that we need, and you freely offer that salvation to all who repent and believe. Father, I pray today that anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ, have never repented of their sins, have never placed their trust for heaven in Him. Today they would do that very thing. And I pray for every Christian would be reminded this morning of the significance of this miracle that you've performed for us as we celebrate Christmas this week with our families. We give you thanks and we give Jesus praise. Amen and amen.